Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back, beautiful people. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, we are really excited. It's one of our first guest appearances by a famous doctor in New York City, another plastic surgeon. And we'll be talking about really cool things. This is plastic surgery and 3D printing. Now, you may have already heard of Dr. Orrin Tepper because he did something very revolutionary. And we're going to have him talk a lot about it today, but it was separation of conjoined twins. And it was done using 3D simulation prior to doing the operation. Uh, this has been covered by every possible major news media outlet media. you can <laughs> possibly imagine. You probably have seen him. He is very, very, very well known for this. Although he does the gamut of plastic surgery today, we're really going to talk about using technology to enhance our um, results and also to perform incredible reconstructive surgery. This is the critically acclaimed plastic surgeon in New York. I mean, you know, ex- extremely well-trained, University of Michigan undergrad, NYU medical school, NYU residency, now is the director of aesthetic surgery and the director of craniofacial uh, plastic surgery at, at the center at Montefiore Medical Center. He's also associate professor of plastic surgery at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Without further ado, we will have our guest, uh, which is Dr. Oren Tepper. You know, I used I used to be the second most acclaimed doctor in New York because Pavement was in New York, and then fortunately <laughs> he moved out to L.A. <laughs> so my, my my status went up. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> it's been too long. I, I've been saying forever I got to get out to Los Angeles and see your incredible office and set up. Um, this pandemic got in the way, but very soon it will happen. There's plenty of room for it. You remember hey, I told yeah. you that a long time ago. <laughs> You know, uh, the idea today and really what we're excited about is, you know, a couple different things. We wanted to get your take on really 3D imaging uh, and 3D reconstruction in surgery and in plastic surgery in particular. And I know that you have uh, a story that's uh, very dear to you and it's also, you know, very well known. It's been on almost every major media outlet and that's the conjoined twins. 
Um, and then we can kind of talk about a little bit about, you know, 3D imaging is used in surgery and 3D, uh, you know, printing is used in surgery. And then, you know, obviously you and I have uh, uh, something that's extremely exciting and that's for post-operative rhinoplasty using 3D uh, splints that, uh, you know, we construct based off of 3D imaging. So, you know, I figured we would start it off by uh, maybe you just giving a little background on the conjoined twins, who they are, what you had to go through, the grueling process of the surgery, and where they're at now. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll start with this. You kind of alluded to this, which is, you know, as plastic surgeons, a lot of us do reconstructive work as well as aesthetic work. And I know you guys enjoy doing all the reconstructive cases as much as you do the cosmetic stuff. What people don't realize is how inter- uh, twined and how related those two things are. And so often, like you read my titles, right? Director of craniofacial surgery, which means facial reconstruction, and then director of aesthetic surgery. And a lot of people, like my own mother, sometimes is, what does that have anything to do with one another? They're two <laughs> totally separate fields, but they're very, they're very related. And um, a lot of that has to do with the technology you're talking about, which is sometimes some of the things that have been most successful or some of the innovation and the new ideas that are generated in cosmetic plastic surgery have come from the basis of what we've been doing in, in reconstructive surgery. So 3D technology is a good example of that. And the twins is the ultimate example of that, which is it was so much of the basics and foundation of plastic surgery in an extremely rare complex case. But when you really kind of think about it, and break it down, it's what we do, what all of us do, you know, day in and day out um, in terms of the way we move tissues, the way we create new tissue, the way we um, reconstruct things. So that's kind of my plug to the importance of, of uh, reconstructive and aesthetic surgery. But the twins, since you brought it up, um, I was really fortunate going back now six years ago to be involved in a case of two boys who were attached at the head. And look, I never had seen a case like that. I had never imagined during the course of my career that I would be involved in a case like that. Um, but it turns out that they had been born in Chicago. They researched uh, a number of doctors around the world and they traveled to different places to, to meet the team. And they came to New York and they met us and they just felt most comfortable with us. So I had this incredible opportunity to be take part in this case that was you know, chronicled and um, documented on CNN, which was meeting that family and then ultimately separating these two young boys who have done really well. And I also and, want to uh, just was, interject right there. It, it, you know, uh, what people don't understand is, you know, you had made a point that they had seen other physicians from all over the world and they felt most comfortable with you. And I think you're, you know, you're you're being very humble in the fact that, you know, it's very rare for a plastic surgeon as gifted as yourself and who has the knowledge and expertise also has the personality to go along with it and handle that kind of situation. So, you know, I, I just want to congratulate you on that because I, I, you know, in this specialty, I think it's very rare to possess all of those uh, abilities. Right. And I appreciate you saying that. Look, it's something we do all the time, right? We have to talk, we have to instill confidence in our, in our patients for really complex things where you, you know, the 
the, the doctor in you wants to say, I got you, we're going to do this, you know, but let, look, that case came to me. I, I've told this story lots of times since this happened. And the reality of it was we find out we're doing the case. CNN decides that they're going to do a documentary. I'm super excited for my team and for the hospital. Um, I guess my dog, I can hear that in the background. He's excited <laughs> about the story. Right. Yeah. Um, so... I get super excited to do this case and um, all of a sudden now like the anxiety of wait a second, the world's watching. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm scared out of my mind at the same time. Right. This is going to be great. But this, if this doesn't go well, all eyes on us. And of course you have to find that balance and honesty of saying to somebody like the family said, have you ever done this? And I said, no, have you seen it? No. But I do things like, facial reconstruction and I use 3D technology all the time. And you guys do that. You know, we share cases and you've sent me some that have come through your office from international cases where it, you know, it's unique. What do you think? And sure. I'm, I, I've never seen it. You've never seen it, but this is what we do in plastic surgery. It's one of the best things. It's one of the best parts uh, yeah. of our job. You apply the it's principles awesome. that you learn and, and, and hope for the best. And that's why, you know, sometimes putting your mind together, that's where we're fortunate in this practice. You know, we bounce things off each other all the time and come up with the best plan right. that we can. But, you know, obviously when I'm at a loss, I come to someone like you who clearly has uh, more knowledge in this, in these spaces. And so it's just refreshing to, to, to continue to learn. Look, they liked, you said why they chose New York. They, yes, they felt comfortable with me, but more importantly, they felt comfortable with the team. And I have felt, this for quite some time in our specialty, which is a lot of people don't play well in the sandbox in plastic surgery. You two are an exception to that. I've been out there. I've met, you know, many of your colleagues out in Los Angeles <laughs> and there you, you guys have done it in a way that I think it's really, I envy that in a way it's so far and, and few in between where people can form a partnership where it's just like that, where it's not all about me. When I'm involved in a case like the twins, it's, yeah, it is about everybody involved in that, not just me. I almost felt bad. There was so much press coverage during the case that I always was trying to make sure that people got credit, you know, like the anesthesiologist, which is such an important part of every case, but that one as well. I never got any airtime, and I was like, "Look, I promise you, I, I said it in the cam. I told the I told the TVs, you guys were critical. They they, they didn't they didn't air it in the end. Um, but the conjoint thing was it was fascinating. One one in two and a half million births a year a, a year, or sorry, the, the rate is one per two and a half million births. Very few of those survive even. So it's about one set of tw set of twins around the world born like that each year." Crazy. And the amazing thing is I did it two more times in Brazil over the last few years because they invited our team um, back to help. And amazing. We, you've seen my talks and we've talked about this, but we had used the, this technology that would help us plan the entire operation first on the computer. And then we printed all these models that we could use in the OR. When the, when a group reached out to Brazil and said, we have a case of two twin girls would you be willing to help? I said, absolutely. Send me what you have. And they had created basically two cabbage patch dolls that they taped together. It was really clever and very artistic. But when they sent that, I said, look, I think we can do better than this. Like, let me, let me bring some of the technology that we use in the last case. And 
we ultimately went down there, the team, we brought that technology and, and this, those sets of girls and then two other sets of young girls um, have all done really well. Absolutely amazing. amazing. Congrats. Amazing. And how the, I remember the, the twins uh, are, you said are now six years old and you keep in touch with them still. I do. I, now I'm like their navigator through the health system. They moved to Indiana. They're moving to Michigan. Um, and we're going to help them get set up there. Um, but they're, they're doing great. They call me, you know, the holidays, I get pictures of the boys. I got some, their new Halloween costumes for Halloween now. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's been great. It's been special. I mean, with what you've seen, what you've been through, I mean, I, I, that's an incredibly complex surgery. And obviously, you know, the question for general public, I think is, oh my gosh, who gets what? You you separate the two. And the interesting part is for the first time, it's more than just seeing it on a CT scan or, uh, you know, an MRI, but it's really it, that 3D processing and, and printing. It's almost like performing the surgery before you even get there so you know exactly what to expect this is dr john lakey at forever young hope you're enjoying the show dr daniel poor and i will be back after a quick break You know, what other aspects of plastic surgery do you think that 3D technology is going to be used for? Obviously, you know, we'll touch on the fact that I think as far as uh, post-op convalescence and recovery and rhinoplasty plays a role. But, you know, do you see it being applied anywhere else? I know there have been talks about 3D reconstructed implants based off of, you know, acellular dermal tissue and all these kinds of things. Where do you see this uh, expanding? Oh, I, for sure. So, yeah, look, you guys can weigh in too, right? You know, Payman, you're sort of the body breast expert. And John, you're, you know, more face rhinoplasty expert. Um, for me, I when I first started using the technology, it was actually in breast surgery, using 3D imaging to scan breasts and get real measurements and just put some objective sort of objectivity behind breast surgery. Then what I realized was it wasn't detailed enough just yet to get to the, you know, body and breast. And we, it moved into the face where millimeters really matter. And so you need that, that technology. So we can certainly talk about that. And I, both of our practices, I know we use a lot of this technology for rhinoplasties and other things, but I think it's exactly what you said. Like the next frontier is the customized breast implant, right? Or, you know, how is it that we are still putting off, we have this technology available. Are we still putting off the shelf standard, breast implants and patients. Sure, there are different sizes. Sure, there are different shapes, but it's not personalized. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you think that's where it's ultimately going to go? Yeah. Listen, and hey, you can weigh in on this as well. I mean, I think you do a, a lot more breast surgery than I do. And um, I know you use the Vectra 3D imaging system to size your patients and things like that. But you know, you know the, the, that it's wrought with complications and it is a foreign body. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it all depends. I mean, Orrin, you know about this better because you work with it. My question is how you make a sterile implant um, that, is, that is going to be able to be placed into a body. 
Um, I know we're making blood vessels and, and, and other things 3D. My question is how far away are we really from making a sterile breast implant that we can fill with whatever it is, something that's maybe not silicone, um, maybe something that's, that's more inert, um, even then silicone. Um, how far are we from getting something like that? I, I think not that far. I think five years, five, 10 years. I mean, it may not be a silicone breast implant, but it may be a mesh that's then filled with your own you know, fat mm-hmm. or stem cells. And it just holds the shape. Um, you know, the, the, the bio tissue engineering is a, is a lot of effort and a lot of smart people and a lot of resources being put towards that. So I think that's not that far away, but, but even before that, I think there's an opportunity. Like, I think it'd be, well, let me back up. I, I think one of the things, and you know, we have pa- patients listening and people who are interested or have or are considering plastic surgery. I think one of the things that I know the three of us feel strongly about is that the, the technology needs to be more than just marketing, right? It, it used to be like, okay, you come in, we'll show you some fancy pictures. We're going to get you to say yes to surgery. And that was really where the technology stopped. But we have to tap into what a much bigger opportunity, which is how do we take what we show you or what you wish for, and how do we make that happen? And and I think that's sort of a better way of getting there. Like for the breast, we were talking the other day how interesting it would be if you could try on before surgery a customized sort of shell that would fit the shape of the implant you might be looking for. So, So it's a step before inserting it. But it's a better way of doing the consultation, which at the moment is either the imaging or just putting your own, uh, like a, an implant into a sports bra. But there, there is a gap there, right? There's a better way to customize that experience as well, I think. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, that 3D printing can be used at every aspect from sales to, you know, ultimately simulating um, and that's either whether it's through what you're saying, wearing something, looking at something, and then even during surgery, uh, you know, and again, I think you and I really, this resonates with us with rhinoplasty surgery because um, using some of the technology, we can actually confirm what we are promising the patient and then post-operatively using that technology to mold and ensure that we are giving the patient what we, you know, we promised them. And so. Right. Great. That's no, a perfect example. So there's an example where it's using the OR where it's not implanted, but we do a rhinoplasty and we use a 3D print to just confirm that we're at the point we intended to be at. And if adjustments need to be made, Sure. So why can't bre- why what, where are we at in breast surgery where we're not that far off from saying well let's confirm with some similar type of printer mold that we've achieved the size and shape that we're looking for like that would seem like an obvious next step where it's used in the OR but not yet implanted mm-hmm. and then eventually we're, there's going to be materials that are you know compatible with the human body. Yeah, listen, I I just saw you had posted something the other day where you reconstructed, you completely reconstructed an absent ear, someone with microtia, and um, you use rib cartilage and you carve it out. And, you know, the interesting part is that you do a pretty good job of uh, reconstructing the the mirror image of the opposite ear. And, uh, you know, everybody has attempted that in in plastic surgery training or something like that, but not everybody achieves what you have. Um, The interesting part is I think with new, uh, um, you know, allogeneic tissues being made available. I know there is a company out there that's, you know, they started with skin, they called it skin TE. 
um, and now they're coming up with bone and cartilage and things like that, using this technology and almost creating a lattice work. Uh, you know, what you're talking about, a customized implant and then something like Renuvion where you have this cadaveric type of fat or something like that, even if it's your own tissue, it would be as simple as taking a biopsy of whatever tissue you need on yourself, expanding those cells and then injecting it into a 3D printer and allowing that to create something. I mean, the technology, the, the potential is limitless. And I know it may seem like a sci-fi movie, but it, we're we're there. I mean, we're we're getting pretty close to having this. The problem, I think, right now is cost. I have a question for you, Warren. You know, let's just let's let's take this the same three D imaging, and let's say you have a patient that comes to you because you're so familiar with this, and she is seventy years old, and she wants a facelift. And I know you do facelifts, and she brings a picture of herself when she was fifty. And she says, I want you to do this. You are a magician. You can do things using a 3D printer. Can you take that type of, or even let's say, I want to look like Angelina Jolie. I want the cant of my eyes to be up higher. I want my cheekbones higher. And you take a picture like that and literally, I mean, this is kind of crazy. It's like face off in a sense. <laughs> um, but can we think that that's ever going to happen, that you can actually take someone's picture from when they were 20 years younger and try to use a 3D simulation and, and mimic that? So it's an amazing question and very thought-provoking. And I, I think I'm going to give you a different spin on sort of what I, when someone comes with that. I think what 3D imaging allows us to do or 3D technology is actually connect those dots in a way we can't, which is, are you ever going to look like Angelina Jolie? Probably not. And here are the reasons why. And I'm going to show you why, right? I'm not just going to explain mm -hmm. to you why. I'm not going to say you just look different. I'm going to say, look, look, here is a potentially 3D image or uh, re 3D um, reconstruction of what Angelina Jolie's facial structures is. You have this or you don't have this. And here's what we can do. And here's what we can't do. I think it becomes a really useful tool to be able to sift through that kind of um, console. And that's a difficult thing for all of us for because we don't know what they're thinking. Like now we can speak, now we speak the same language. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hoping where, where I think this is all going to go, right? And this is, this is honestly, this is something that every patient who comes to your office or comes to my office or anyone else who has a 3D image, this is what they should be asking for. Take a picture now. Because when I come back in 20 years and I do want my facelift, I don't have to bring my high school photo or I don't have to bring my wedding photo just pull up my old image and you're going to be like, well, here's actually what happened over the last 20 years. You've lost some volume in your cheek. You've had some descent, you know, things like that. This is you, this is the real comparison. So I'm excited for that day actually when that happens. And, See, that's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, the interesting part in, I like where you're going with that because you can overlay those two images, look at the volume metrics and say, okay, Here's sometimes I look at someone and I look at a photo and and you can try to achieve, but it's almost as if the novice surgeon looked at the images, separated the volumetrics and said, okay, I know I need four cc's of fat over here. I know two over here, one over here, and right. we need to lift this portion. Right. Suddenly it's it makes these more difficult and challenging procedures uh, readily available to you know, not necessarily the novice, but someone who can put those metrics together. Um, you know, Rod Rorick always loves taking a procedure and makes it a stepwise or a, re, you know, there's a ladder um, or algorithm. And 
this is essentially a visual algorithm that shows you exactly what needs to be done. And the computer can even tell you it, down to the, the 0.1 cc. I mean, it's, it's crazy looking at uh, some of the changes, even in those 3D images pre and post. And now, you know, we've been involved with this company, Mirror Me, that we've liked some of their technology. They, have, they are developing an app on your iPhone to scan your own face. So, so you don't even have to come to our office. So you may be able to do this at home, store it in the cloud, and then we can, you know, as over the years, we'll tell you what's changed, what hasn't. But that's something, look, we have a lot of studies going on in our field. And one of the ones that we're doing together as a group has been looking at this in rhinoplasty. And we have looked you know, looked at your group's, your practice's patients and mine and said, how much is the swelling coming down after surgery? And are there things we can do to improve it? And we have some really interesting findings. We're presenting that next week at our annual meeting, the, the American Society of Plastic Surgery meeting. And it's interesting that whilst this technology sort of scares some surgeons, we embrace it. Like we want to understand exactly what's happening because it will only get better with knowledge. Definitely. And if you, I mean, that's a perfect segue into using this as a, uh, you know, a post-operative method to reduce swelling or, you know, traditional, you know, we're talking rhinoplasty um, post-operatively, usually for the first week, everyone has a hardened type of splint and tape and things like that to help mold the nose and prevent uh, major swelling. But that comes off at one week. And then traditionally surgeons have either taped the nose or, or done nothing. And, and for us, uh, you know, I think you and I came up with that idea a few years ago and, and made it happen where we almost like adjustable trays for the teeth. You have these post-operative series of splints. So you put it on the nose and then, uh, as swelling reduces, uh, you slowly get into a smaller and smaller splint. And, the interesting part is a lot of times I'll take my patient's second splint and we'll try pushing just a little bit on the nose to help squeeze out some of that tissue fluid and it helps mold the nose as well. I don't know if you want to comment on your experience with that. No, it's been great. I mean, like you said, it's there's tape, there's the unknown in the human body throws at you as you heal and you got to always sort of fight that. And... Um, if you look at the splints that people put on traditionally in surgery, which is essentially like a mold that you uh, heat up and then mold and you take it off after surgery, you realize just how obscure or how skewed that splint that you took off is after it wasn't the perfect shape that you created in the OR. It changes when you 3d print, when you 3d print that splint now specific for what that patient you envision for that patient, it's exactly what you intended it to be. And it will, it will compress and it will it will start to um, affect the nose in the way that you had hoped it would, and so it's a much more precise way of um, you know dealing with post-operative swelling. It's protective; patients love wearing it. Definitely. Um, so, so it's been a really good experience. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's Plastics Docs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. I'm going to ask you a quick question about, about the 3D, um, using 3D imaging for the conjoined twins, because I know we talked about it for a second and we kind of 
went by it because it's very fascinating. And I've watched the documentary and uh, honestly, I, I can't commend you enough. Um, Devil's Advocate, could you have done it without it? Uh, so here's the story. So I think we there's a lot of things that were not, that were a best guess if I didn't have a technology. Would it have been possible Potentially. Do I think the likelihood of success would have been the same? No. I think it really took us from the, I, you know, we're probably going to be okay to I'm pretty sure we, you know, barring any real disaster in the operating room, we're going to be able to do this. And what it did, you know, there's a lot of nuances to it, but let me try to give you a couple of the highlights, which is one, we knew exactly where to enter the skull to address the exact, let's say, blood vessel that we needed to divide. That was from the neurosurgical perspective. Then I needed to use all of the bone that they share to create two new entire skulls. So I had to take that bone and I had to essentially split it and create twice as much bone. I didn't know if that was gonna be enough. I had no way of guessing. So now on the computer, you virtually say, well, there's this much surface area and now we need this much surface area. Do we have enough? Yes. And then the last thing, sort of going from the inside out, which is I need to make new scalp. And to do that, I have to put a, a, a balloon. We call it a tissue expander, where you put it under the scalp and you balloon up the scalp. So you, again, gain a lot of surface area. But as I expand it, as I continue to fill that balloon each week, I could get another image and say, how much more tissue have I gained? Have I gotten there? Am I going to be enough? Because am I have I gotten enough? Because what would have really been a disaster is to get to that final separation and not have been able to close both boys' skulls and scalps because then it, then, then it would have been a failure. Now, would, it, would this be cost prohibitive to do on, um, let's say you're doing a, a just your run-of-the-mill scalp reconstruction for a burn or let's say you're doing a facial recon for a, a really bad gunshot to the face or, you know, I can give you a, a ton of examples that I don't need to give you, but you know, is it cost prohibitive or is, are you doing this on a regular basis at um, your institution with your residents to, to basically plan it out? Because it's a game changer. Listen, we've done, I've done plenty of facial fractures. If I had a 3D imaging that could kind of take me through it where, where you open up the eggshell with a ZMOC that's completely crushed into so many pieces and you know, hey, these go, all go into these pieces, it makes it a lot easier. Or even a scalp recon yeah. where you're drawing out different flaps where this can be done before you go in there. Um, wow. I mean, it, it would, it would be, it would make life a lot easier for us. Yeah. If, if you asked me five years ago and even today, is it cost prohibitive to most people? Probably most practices. Yes. Like if the insurance is going to pay for it, it's hard to say to a surgeon, I need you to spend all this extra time and potentially money to be able to do this when you're not getting reimbursed for that, um, or your time or the actual prints. However, I think we're at the point where the inflection point now where those hurdles have, have been removed or diminished. And I don't think so anymore. I think this is, we're getting to that point where it is becoming standard of care. It's becoming certainly standard care for complex cases. We're at the forefront of this becoming standard of care for routine cases. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Man, listen, you know, it, it's such exciting stuff. Uh, I think uh, there's so much on the horizon. As we said before, the potential is limitless. And it takes, you know, surgeons like you to help catapult this forward uh, uh, where the rest of 
you know, our colleagues listen and uh, slowly follow suit. So we can't thank you enough. Uh, I got one more question. Mm -hmm. I got one more question for you. Um, And I see John do this in the OR because here's here's the thing, because I've seen you guys use the 3D splints and I think they're fascinating. I really do. Um, And but at the same time, here's what's amazing to me. So you take a picture on the Vectra, because not everyone knows. People that are listening, I want you to guys to, to understand how this works. You come in for a routine rhinoplasty, and Dr. Tepper or Dr. Lakey will take you into a room, take a picture of you, and then do a 3D simulation. Do a 3D simulation, and basically you'll go through it on, on how, what you want your nose to look like with the conversation with the doctor, with the plastic surgeon. And you come up with a final result and agreement that, hey, this is what I want. My question is, how in the world did the two of you make it so you come in within millimeters? Are you just that good? <laughs> so that's what's funny. I, I could tell the world I'm that good, or John could have told the world he's that good. And people would say, maybe, or they're good, that good, or maybe they're just, you know, full themselves. But I'm telling you, we've done, we've shown the data and we are that close. Mm-hmm. We're that close within a millimeter. And, um, so, yeah, we we've gotten that close, and the technology and we and the technology proves it. I don't have to just tell people I'm great anymore. I think I can do this. <laughs> no, that, and that's what's so amazing about it. You know, I I've kind of led you with the question because I wanted you to say that because it's fascinating to me. I will go into the operating room and or even a week out, and I see how the splint perfectly fits. And guys, this is not something we're making up. I see this on a daily basis. To tape your nose is one thing, but to have a 3D molded splint that will fit a rhinoplasty that is performed from, let's say, a very large nose to a very small nose or a very crooked nose to a very straight nose, this is fascinating. And this technology is going to change aesthetic and reconstructive surgery to the next level. Honestly, we have to thank you for it because you are the pioneer um, and, and you've brought this to the forefront to the point where now we're using it in our office in the middle of Beverly Hills and not for conjoined twins. Um, and I think the, 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 you know, possibilities are just going to be completely limitless. But your, but your patients should realize it, both of you and both of your patients that you guys use it because you believe in it and you think it improves their results. It is not, not, you know, none of it, or it's not smoke and mirrors. Like I've seen both of you in the OR and there's a reason you bring the images in, right? You had your 3d images there in the OR. It wasn't, you didn't just leave it in the consultation room because you're going to, deliver to the patient what she or he asked for. Absolutely. And um, so when you have surgeons who are saying, look, we're going to use everything at our disposal to get there with you, you know, that, that's a win-win. We're not just trying to sell you on stuff. Well, listen, we got Mondays and Wednesdays available uh, just in case. <laughs> the, the, op- the operating room is <laughs> available and, and, and we have an extra office that has your name on it. <laughs> I can't tell my wife that we even did this because every time I tell her, I talk to you guys, she's like ready to go to right to the airport. And, uh, <laughs> to Beverly Hills. So <laughs> the, only tell, pro- listen, the only problem is you have your family in New York. Yeah. Listen, tell Meredith, we got, we, we, we're already looking for spaces <laughs> out here. All right. <laughs> if you, if you don't mind, give us some take home messages so the audience can kind of understand everything that we just talked about in a nutshell. All right. Here's what did I learn from this? Myself, I think a couple of things. One is, I think recognizing the the plastic surgery is a much broader field than simply just cosmetic surgery. There's a whole history and there's a whole uh, importance to what we do that is beyond the aesthetics. Equally as important, but the two are very related. So, if you go to a plastic surgeon who does reconstructive work, also that's great because they are using a lot of those principles. 
The other is I think it's a really exciting time to be a plastic surgeon and a plastic surgery patient because there's technology now that is improving, one, the consultation so that the surgeon and the patient can understand or come to a, a goal that they both share. It's not the days anymore of here's what I think you need. Mm-hmm. I'll see you day of surgery. Yeah, like, trust it's okay me, to good. have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to tell me what you think. And by the way, I may not think it's possible or I may not think it's the appropriate uh, result for you and we should part ways and that's okay. So you should use that technology. And then the last is I think we're getting really close to a way to bring this technology into the OR so that we can actually you know, achieve much more precise and better results. So I'm looking forward for what's ahead. Love it. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's extremely exciting. Uh, we're so thankful that you took the time out to join us today. And I know that all the listeners will be excited as well. Um, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic time uh, evening on the East Coast. And we will definitely talk to you soon. It's good to see you, bro. All right, guys. Nice seeing you. Nice talking to you. All right, my man. Take care. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, It's extremely exciting uh, to me. I hope it was equally exciting for you guys. Uh, Remember, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. Listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. See you next week. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.